Well, good morning and welcome from me. It's great to have you join us today. My name's Tom and I'm one of the pastors at Hope Church. And I'm married to the lovely Sarah and we've got three young children. And over the last eight years or so, it's been a real joy uh, being a dad. But some of the most proud moments have been when my children have spoken their first words. Now, YouGov did a survey a few years ago amongst parents asking them to disclose what their children's first words were. And there were some really great ones in the mix. Uh, one in 100 children had dog as their first word, but there was also some great words like beer. Many children actually had beer as their first word. Uh, some uh, had hoover as their first word. Can you just imagine the, the, the picture of the dad's face when he gets a call from his wife saying, honey, Little Johnny said his first words today and his excitement, excitement lights up in his eyes. What was the word, darling? What was the word? It was hoover. Can you imagine the disappointment, hoover being the first word? Well, I'm pleased to say that for my children, their first words were dada. All three of them said dada as their first word. And it brought me a lot of pride and joy to come home from work and hearing them say dada, dada, even though they probably didn't really associate dada with me, they probably didn't know what it meant. It was beautiful to hear them say dada. And in today's message, we're going to see that Jesus teaches his disciples, his little band of apprentices to call God Father. It was a revolutionary teaching. In the Old Testament, which these guys would have grown up with, their, their knowledge of God and, and what they would call God was, was very, very different. They would refer to God in a very reverent sense. They would call him Yahweh, which means I am who I am. This is how God had revealed himself to Moses. They had other names for God, God who provides, God who heals. But Father, this was something completely different. And Jesus uses this word to describe God over 60 times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. This was something revolutionary. And as we're going to see in just a moment, as we read this passage, Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus teaches them a prayer that has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. A prayer that, if we are honest, has become so familiar to us that through over-familiarity, it's lost something of its stunning power. So today's message is about prayer, and I would be doing you a disservice if I simply stood here and say, Christians, you need to be praying more. Christians, you, you ought to pray more than you do. Because I think there's many who will be watching today or listening online who, to be honest, you're, you're, you have this sort of lingering sense of guilt under the surface that you don't pray enough. You think to yourself, I really ought to pray more than I do. And, and guilt and shame is a rubbish motivator when it comes to pushing us towards the things that God wants for our lives. That's the last thing I want to do today is guilt people into praying more. Instead, I want to really focus in on the very heart of the passage that we're going to read today, which is the fatherhood of God. And if we grasp hold of this, if we really take it to our hearts today, then we're going to be drawn to our Father in prayer. Not to reach some goal of praying more or somehow to push away this guilt, but to instead be drawn to our glorious, generous, irresistible Father. Well, because there's nowhere else we'd rather be. And if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, maybe you, a friend has invited you to watch this, I want to show you today that Christianity is, is far, far better than what you probably thought it was. Please stay tuned and hear what it's all about. So let's open our Bibles at Luke chapter 11. If you haven't got your Bible with you, why don't you pause the video and go and get it? I'd love for you to read this with me and even have this passage open in your Bibles this week so that you can really be digging into the truths in this passage we're gonna read. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place 
And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples. Now, they're talking about John the Baptist here, Jesus' cousin, who also had his own following. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I've nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let me pray. Father, I ask that right now you would meet with us as we dig into your word together. Would you speak to me? Would you give me prophetic words even as I speak, that would really come straight to the heart of those who are watching and listening. Would you encourage us deeply today? Amen. Now, I want to ask three very quick questions of what we've just read, and then we're going to really spend most of our time camped out in the very first line of the prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. The first question is, where on earth is the end bit gone? Now, some of you, you've, you've grown up praying the Lord's Prayer in school or at church, and it often ends with this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's not here in the text. And actually, nor is it in the version of the prayer that we read in Matthew's gospel. So where has it gone? Well, it actually was likely never there. It's actually from elsewhere in the Bible, from First Chronicles and it was added on to the prayer by early Christians who thought this is a great way to end this amazing prayer by praising God. So that's the answer to that one. It was probably never there in the first place. The second question is, is this a corporate prayer, a prayer that we're to pray together, or is this an individual prayer? Well, I think when you look at this prayer and you see the use of the word our and us, I believe it's a corporate prayer. It's a prayer that we're to pray together more than it is an individual prayer. I believe that there's some principles in this prayer that are really helpful for us to be praying individually, but I believe this is actually a corporate prayer. And corporate prayer, together prayer, is, is so important in the life of a Christian. And, and really the last thing we needed this year was to be all stuck in our individual homes watching TV screens and computer screens because there was already a big problem with individualism in Christianity. And really praying together is of, of huge importance. And so I want to encourage you really that in this coming term, when we may be able to meet or we may not be able to meet, we don't know, I want to encourage you to find people to pray with. 
whether that's in person or over Zoom, make corporate together prayer a real central, central part of your life because it's so important. Third question is, is this a set prayer or is this kind of like a set of principles for prayer? Well, I think the answer is yes, it's both. I think this is a set prayer that we can pray together, but I think it also contains some key guiding principles for prayer that would really shape us and direct our priorities in prayer. So we're going to spend, as I say, some concentrated time in the very uh, opening line of this prayer. And then we're going to just spend a little bit of time just looking at the last few parts of this prayer. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Listen, this is, this is a, a really radical sentence. This is something that changes everything. Now, depending on your generation, you may well have just grown up by saying the Lord's Prayer daily, and you almost find yourself saying what you've learned, which is, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You, you, you kind of, it's become so ingrained that you find yourself speaking an archaic version of the English language that no one speaks anymore because it's just so ingrained within you. My own dad, who uh, for the last four years has been suffering with dementia and who's very, very unwell, he, he can't really hold a conversation anymore. You get, occasionally you get some words that you can understand. And yet, even he, in such a, a now an advanced state of dementia, can still pray quite large portions of this prayer because it's so ingrained within him. And just the other day, it was so precious. I prayed with him and he probably got 60% of this prayer out. It's so familiar to us, we find ourselves just, re just reciting it. But the familiarity of it numbs us to the radical thing that Jesus is saying here. He's saying that you get to call your God, Dad. That's the word that he uses here. This is the Hebrew word for Dad, it's Abba. These guys who he's teaching would have called their own dads Abba. And if you were to go to Israel today and you were to see a child running after his father, he'd be shouting, Abba, Abba. And Jesus is teaching them to say Abba when they pray. This is shocking. It's revolutionary to them. They need to speak to God in a very reverent way. And here he is instructing them to call their God Father, using about as, uh, as informal a phrase as you can imagine. I only wish that it was as shocking for us as it would have been for them. It would have made us think we've become so accustomed to praying Father God that we don't really let it sink in. The one who made the galaxies, who intricately designed the Milky Way and all of the planets that we've learned about and the millions of planets we haven't learned about. The one who designed the human body and the intricacies of it. The one who made every living thing. He is the one that we can call Father. He's the perfect creator and ruler of all. And we can call him Dad. Christianity is unique in this. It teaches that God has always been a generous, self-giving father. He's always existed as a loving community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, even before he created anything, he was father. And in all his ways, he is beautifully fatherly. I love uh, a book called The Good God by Michael Reeves. You should buy it. Get it on your Christmas list. It will do you so much good to read it. Michael Reeves says this, it's not that God does being father as his day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It is not that he has this nice blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father all the way down. And thus, all that he does, he does as father. 
And out of his fatherly love, he created. He created all that we see. And it was good. And he created every living creature and it was good. And he created mankind and it was good. And yet man, sometime later, turned his back on God and pursued selfish gain. And what that led to was sin and suffering and chaos and ultimately death and separation from God. And what we read in this great story is that this loving father, drawn uh, to his creation through compassion, sent his son, his always existing son, into the earth, into the creation, to take on human form and to live an ordinary existence, like the existence that you and I live, to have to work for a living, to know hunger and to know uh, need even. And this Jesus ultimately ended up dying in our place, a substitute's death. He died the death that we deserved, having lived the life that we could not live, living the life that we were commanded to live in a perfect obedience to God, and we fell short. And Jesus, he died in our place. And what was all of that for? Well, it was so that we could be brought into, brought back into the family of God. Soul-satisfying fellowship with God was the aim of the cross. That was the goal of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. It was soul-satisfying friendship with God. That's what it's all about, knowing God as our Father. Adoption is at the heart of the Christian story that we call the gospel or the good news. The end goal was that we might become sons and daughters of God. It's incredible that we're loved. It's wonderful to know that we're forgiven. Incredible that we're judged not guilty and remarkable that we are freed from shame. But it's even more glorious that we get to be called sons and daughters of God. We get to call God Father. And the great theologian J.I. Packer, who passed away recently, he said, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. You sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Let me ask you, is the thought that God is your father the thing that controls and prompts your whole life? Is it something that defines you? Do you understand you've been adopted through faith in Jesus? Is this something that you forget? Is it something that has been marred by the imperfect example of your earthly father? Is it something that's completely new to you? Maybe you thought Christianity was about kind of scoring some points. If only I do some good things, I might be able to outweigh the bad things I've done. If I turn up at some services or if I do some good things for those who are in need, then I might be able to outweigh the bad things I've done. Maybe this is completely new for you because it's not about that at all. Did you know that through faith in Jesus, you can be wrapped up in him. You can be united to him and given a a, a perfect robe of righteousness 
as if you've never done anything wrong, as if you've actually lived the life that Jesus himself lived. When we, when we grasp that we've been united to Jesus, when we grasp that we've been drawn into this Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit because of our union with Jesus, it, it makes us see that our prayers are not interruptions on God's precious me time. We don't need to sort of worry that we, we're sort of knocking on his door and thinking, are we going to be interrupting something else that he's doing? No, he's always been a loving father. And now because of what Jesus has done and through faith, through faith in him, we now come, we get drawn into relationship with him. This is the thought that is to, to really dominate our whole life, that God is our father. It's to change our whole outlook on life. Father is the Christian name for God. We, we needn't come to him with formality or religiosity. We needn't come with formulas or thinking, if I, if I do these particular things or I say these particular things in this order, then he'll accept me. No, he's our dad. And we get to come before him. Just as Jesus came before his father, so we can come before the father. And Jesus knew that he had a, a perfect standing before his father. And so he prayed a lot. If only we knew this truth that we now because of Jesus, have a perfect standing before the Father, we too would pray a lot. This, this one thought would be enough if we came back to it, if we were reminded of it regularly, if it ruled our mind, this would completely change our lives. And as I said, far from kind of making it our goal or our aim to try and pray more, we would just find God irresistible. We'd want to be with him. You're a child of God. He takes great pleasure in you. He loves it when you come to him and you call him father. Just like I was filled with pride when my children said their first word, dada. He is melted with compassion when you come to him and call him father. He loves you so much. He wants you to come near to him. Can you imagine that? Even our, our confused and mumbled prayers, even when we don't really even know what we want to pray for, he loves it. He delights in our prayers. Charles Spurgeon says, he who can say Abba Father has uttered better music than the angels. I have all in all to all eternity when I can say Abba Father. This is such a rich and glorious thing and I can only pray that this is sinking in. We've covered one line of this prayer and time is almost up. Maybe you can just understand why I would love to have more than uh, one sermon just in this passage. I'd love to preach weeks and weeks on this. Let's move on to looking at what this prayer then looks like. We've understood God being our father. Well, Terry Virgo says, prayer is simply our response to who God has revealed himself to be. He's our father and so we talk to him. And Michael Reeves again, he says, prayer is exercising the belief that the almighty is my willing and kind father and that accepting me in the son, he wants to hear me and bless me. So with this in mind, this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, your kingdom come. This is likely not the first thing on our lips when we pray. This is likely not the thing that we even really have in our minds very often at all. And yet its prominence in the prayer here should really be noteworthy for us. Because Jesus says, you're to seek first the kingdom of God before anything else. You're to seek first the kingdom of God. It should be our desire that God's kingdom grows and expands, that many thousands, millions would be ushered into the kingdom. It's to be our prayer that, God, would your kingdom come in Ipswich? Would it be that 
thousands of people come to know you and to know your fatherly ways, to know you as king, to know your healing and your favour and your blessing and your salvation. That's to be our prayer, Lord, for our nation and for the nations of the world. That's to be number one in our priorities when it comes to prayer. That the nations of the world would come to know Jesus as king. And then he teaches us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Jesus instructs us to ask God for what we need. And he says in verse 10, for anyone who asks, receives. Now I want to encourage us and urge us, do not let your experience of prayer and your experience of answered prayer or unanswered prayer seemingly, let that not dictate what you see here when you see verses 9 to 10. Read it plainly. This is what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So when we ask we will receive. Listen to this. When you ask you will receive. You may not receive what you ask for. For God is a good father and I've asked things of him before that if he was to give it to me, what I was asking for, he wouldn't really be a good father. It was something that I thought I needed at the time, but he knew better. But there's a promise here that when we ask, we will receive. Sometimes he gives us what we should have asked for. But there's a massive promise here that when we ask, we will receive, which then begs the question, what are we asking God for? Jesus' teaching on prayer could be summarised in these words, ask the Father. And Jesus' brother, James, who presumably saw Jesus praying an awful lot, he writes to the church that he's overseeing and he says to them, you ask not, rather you have not because you ask not. And he says, and because of this, now you're quarrelling and you're fighting and you're, you're full of strife. I, I wonder if all of the anxiety we experience, I wonder if all of the binge eating or binge drinking or binge streaming of Netflix or binge gaming or nail biting or sleeplessness or uh, irritable uh, mindsets. I wonder if all of those things would be uh, alleviated somehow if only we came to God and asked for what was on our heart. I wonder if those things would somehow be overruled if we just allow this truth to sink into our minds that we can come before God and ask and we will receive. Jesus wants us to ask the Father for what we need. He will give to us when we ask him and it will be good for us. If we keep this promise before us, I, I just wonder how much anxiety we would really have because we'd simply be bringing to God the specifics of what we need and just allowing him to provide for us. Friends, if you're, if you're struggling with anxiety, and there are many, I don't need to be prophetic to say that. If you're struggling with anxiety, let me urge you, ask the Father, what is it that you need? What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you then who are evil, he says, that's not very flattering. There's some of Jesus' best friends in the crowd here, Peter and James and John. And Peter's probably thinking, oh, he probably means the crowd. See, so I can't be talking about me. No, he means Peter and he means me and he means you. 
He's saying, well, you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children. We, we kind of think of evil people as like Hitler and Stalin. We kind of have this kind of category as evil. Well, listen, in comparison to God, who has no evil within, we are evil people. And the difference between us and Hitler is this big compared to the difference between us and God. And we, evil in comparison to a holy God, we still have, by and large, good thoughts to our children. With the exception of some neglectful and absent fathers, the vast majority of dads, even if they're a bit rubbish, they still want what's best for their children. Almost everywhere in the world, in spite of sin, fathers are jealous for the good of their children. That's inside almost every dad. He's on the side of his kid when his kid's in trouble. He wants the best for them. And that is what Jesus is picking up on here. He's saying, listen, you're sin-filled and yet you want the best for your kids. How much more does your sinless, perfect, holy Father God want the best for you? You have a, a perfect father who has no evil and we can come to him and ask for what we want. Maybe you never knew your earthly dad. Maybe he died or maybe he left before you were born. Maybe he left when you were very young. Or maybe you had a dad, but he was awful. Maybe he was abusive to you. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was uninterested in you or really never had time for you. Listen, there's good news for you today because your heavenly father has none of those sinful traits that they had. Maybe you had a good dad. Maybe you have, you have a good dad still and you think, I'm so grateful. There's good news for you too because your heavenly father is 10 million times better than your good earthly dad. God has none of the limitations of your father. He has none of the emotional hang-ups of your father. He is perfect and he knows what's best for his children. I just want to just allow that to land in hearts right now. Father, would you come and do that? Would you come and just let that sink into our hearts right now. You are perfect in all of your ways. Jesus is trying to get kids of all ages from five to 80. He's trying to get them to come to their father full of hope and confidence that he hears them and that he longs to do them good. That's what he's doing. He's, he's longing to show you that do you come before the father, your father has good things for you. What qualifications do you bring to the table well you only really bring sin and mess you don't bring good works you don't bring effort you don't bring some uh, great pedigree or background no you bring your mess and Jesus deals with it and you are adopted into the family of God and you can ask your father for what you need and he hears you and he will provide for you let's just look at this last line of this prayer and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive anyone, everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Do we need to pray this prayer? God has already forgiven us. He's already justified us freely as a gift. I believe we still need to pray this prayer. I believe that when we sin, when we do wrong, when we think wrong things, when we say wrong things, or when we don't do the things that we know we ought to do, that we should still come to our Father and say, Father, forgive me. Father, would you help me to not go there again? That's what we're praying when we're praying, lead me not into temptation. We know God doesn't tempt people. We see that in the book of James. He doesn't tempt people. But we can pray, God, I don't want to go there. Please give me strength to resist. I don't want to go there again. This is 
part of what it looks like to, to grow as a child of God, to grow this relationship with God. I, I'm so jealous for you that you know this more and more, that you know this glorious father-son or father-daughter relationship with your God. This is, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about, friends. Walking with him, knowing his presence with you, speaking to him, receiving his wisdom, praying for forgiveness, praying for strength to forgive others when they've wronged you, asking him that his kingdom may come. This is what it's all about. This is what we've been brought into. This is our inheritance that Jesus has won for us. He's won for us the relationship that he has with his father. And I want to pray that we too would know that. Just as I've been uh, speaking, there's been a, a couple of words of knowledge that have come into my mind. I believe there's, there's two guys particularly watching this. And, and sport has become something of an idol for you. Sport is, is a wonderful gift from God. It's a really good gift. And yet I, I believe that there's a couple of guys for whom sport has become an idol, where you've, come, you've kind of become a bit enslaved to it. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of cramping and, and crowding out your walk with God. And maybe that there's a season where you need to lay it down for a little while. I also have uh, in my mind that there's a, there's a lady who's been uh, knocking repeatedly on God's door. And, uh, and, and you've, you've knocked and knocked, and it's in the area of, of a relationship. You're asking God for, for a husband. And you've knocked and knocked and knocked, and you feel like there's no point in me continuing to knock here. I believe these words of ask and you will receive just need to come back into your mind. God has good things for you. It may be that he wants you to keep knocking and he'll provide for you a husband. But it may be that he just wants you to keep knocking because even in the knocking and the, the asking, he wants to give you good things. Finally, there's a, there's a man watching who, uh, there's a, you had a very distant father. And it's actually impacted on your own fatherhood. And you've been reflecting on that even this week. And you've been thinking to yourself, if only my father was more loving towards me. If only, then I would have been more loving towards my own children. I believe that God wants to be just drawing you tenderly to himself now to bring healing to you. And that healing is going to flow and it's going to flow to your children as well. There's going to be forgiveness and there's, it's going to be really beautiful. So I just want to pray for us as a church. Maybe you just want to reach out to God where you are. Just put your hands out to him and say, God, I want to receive from you. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're watching this and, and you think, this is weird. <laughs> this could be a moment that you just say, God, I want to know you as my father. Would you reveal yourself to me as father? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that even through a screen, you are working. Even through a camera and, and, a, and a light and a microphone, you are working. Thank you that uh, your word is powerful. And I want to simply ask you that the words that I've shared today from your word will, will cut to the heart and will do us much good. I pray for my, my church family who I miss so much. I pray, Lord God, that you would do great things in our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself in prayer more and more in the days to come, not through some sort of effort or wanting to, you know, 
tick off a, a list of praying each day. No, but actually that we just find you irresistible as we are again reminded you are our Father and you love us. Would you transform hearts and minds for those people that I believe you particularly wanted to speak to? Would you come and do great things uh, amongst them right now? Come and do good amongst us. Let there be testimony and stories of your transforming work in our lives in the days and weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.